Tom Woods Show, episode 1632. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, creating an online course can be an excellent way of establishing yourself as an authority. It's also a great first product. And if you know what you're doing, it can generate you some real smackers. But how do you do it? Well, I have a teensy-weensy bit of experience with online courses, and I've put together some material that takes you through step-by-step exactly what to do and then how to market that course so people find out about it and buy it. Get these free resources at tomwoods.com slash makecourses. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. All right, I've been telling you that I'm not going to do every single episode on this virus, and I'm keeping my word. Today, in fact, I'm going to get our minds completely out of 2020 and cast them back to 2010, which is when the interview you're about to hear was recorded. It's an interview I did at the Mises Institute about a book I'd had come out not too long before that that I wrote with the late Murray Polner called We Who Dared to Say No to War. It is a compilation of some of the best anti-war writing connected to all the major American wars from 1812 down to the War on Terror. I'm very happy with it. Murray and I had a 50-50 split in deciding on what selection should be included, and it's an extremely diverse, genuinely diverse array of people who are featured in that volume. Very happy with it. Published by Basic Books, got a starred review from Publishers Weekly, which is a nice feather in our cap, and I will link to that book at tomwoods.com slash 1632 for your enjoyment. So we're going to talk about war today instead of pandemics. <sighs> it's not one thing, it's another on the Tom Wood Show. Here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Tom, today we're going to be talking about another tactic of resistance, this time against war, and your wonderful book, uh, We Who Dared Say No to War. You said that this is your least known work. I, I think, well, it's one of them anyway. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of these titles that sort of fell through the cracks because I had so many things going on at once. It was between Who Killed the Constitution and Meltdown. And so it just sort of fell between the cracks. But uh, still, I'm really pleased with it. It's an anthology. It's the best, most interesting anti-war writings that my co-editor Murray Polner and I could find from all the major American wars from 1812 to the present. Why do you care about this topic? Well, Rothbard said that that war and peace is the, the key issue of the whole libertarian business. I, I agree with him completely. I, I've become more radical on this subject all the time, and partly perhaps out of a, a form of penance, because I used to be a very conventional middle of the road. In the Cold War. Yeah, and, and even after. I mean, 1991, I was all for invading Iraq, you know, because my overlords told me that that's what we needed to do, and it seemed like a cool video game, and, you know, and but but when you stop and think what's actually going on here that you know a politician simply utters the word war declares a war you utter that word and suddenly activities that in normal conditions would be considered crimes become a matter of public policy like how how does that happen what by by what kind of magic you know i mean how how can this how can this occur how can that be right you know so i i just i i came to decide that um I had to just rethink my whole way of thinking in the early 1990s about this. I, I felt like I had been had, that I had been, I had been caught up in the idea that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of watching a, a video game and we're getting the bad guys. But even if those were the bad guys, even if I accept that, even if I accept the narrative, 
we're making an awful lot of widows. We're, we're making an awful lot of orphans. And in normal morality, if, if I need to go after some bad guy, is it considered acceptable for me to just walk down the street arbitrarily shooting because I figure that maybe I'll get him? I mean, of course, no one would think that. But somehow you just utter the word war and people's rational faculties just fall out. Just, I utter the word war, a politician says war, and now arbitrarily the rights of a whole country's worth of people just disappear. They have no rights anymore. If they get killed, it's an unfortunate mistake, but, you know, the, uh, the, the, the policymakers will still have their cocktail party. It happened even after 9-11. I mean, when the, the Iraq war, the war in Iraq, suddenly, I mean, everybody recognized Iraq had nothing to do whatsoever with 9-11, but it was like, well, it's clear that we've got to kill millions of people for, or hundreds of thousands of people for... Uh, in retribution. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the people whose selection we have in there, uh, one of the 19th century figures, pointed out exactly this, that l let's say there's a natural disaster, an earthquake or something. Well, people's sympathy for their fellow man pours forth in the form of donations and help and assistance. But yet, when you think about the people in Iraq, who many, many of whom, I mean, 50 to 100,000 at least died in the most recent war, and some estimates have it as high as a million well, whatever it is, it's a humanitarian catastrophe. And yet, there's no response from the U.S. population. There's no, like, you know, well, gee, let's, let's set up a, get up a collection for these, the innocent people who died. I mean, surely there are some innocent people in this country, right? The ones we wanted to liberate, right? I mean, so obviously we're supposed to have sympathy for them. We, they're suffering under this terrible oppression. But yet, if there'd been an earthquake in a neighboring country, people would have concerts and whatever. But there's nothing like like these this, these people are garbage because our government tells them that they're they're just garbage. They're not entitled to any any human sympathy whatsoever. What about this doctrine of the American civic religion that it's because of the wars that we're free? Yeah, it's this cannot be dislodged from people's heads, and it is utterly irrational. I, I mean, what? Show me a war where the U.S. would have been invaded. And then, you know, you have the propaganda things about the world wars. The Kaiser was going to get us one of these days. I mean, come on. I mean, anybody who knows anything about Germany at that time knows the absurdity of that state. But, but honestly, all, all this is part of imperial ambition, has nothing whatsoever to do with protecting the country. It does not matter to the U.S. what the form of government, you know, in most of these countries is or any of them matters not one whit and to the contrary what it actually does when you wage all these wars is it allows the it allowed the the communists to claim that the US is just another imperial power looking to take over these third world countries why give them the satisfaction why not say no you know what unlike the communists we're not going to intervene in your country so here's the choice you have not between two world powers scurrying for control of your country but between one power that's trying to do that and another one that's holding aloft the beacon of freedom. I mean, why wouldn't that have been better? Wants to trade and save us, you. Exactly. Yeah. Save us the trillions of bucks. Yeah. 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 Um, what kind of writings are in here? You say it's uh, uh, writings of the left, writings of the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's left, right, center. Everybody's in there. Our yeah. criterion was you have to be a not, well, I guess two criteria. You have to be not a fascist and not a commie. Yeah. As long as you're, you're not either of those, you can be in the book. And so we've got people, well, for example, we've got Murray Rothbard in this book. Now, he's, he's not the sort of guy you'd normally see in an anti-war anthology, but his essay, War, Peace, and the State, is one of the life-changing, mind-changing essays that, that Rothbard wrote that makes you understand, think about what war actually is. Forget about the songs and the parades and the flags and whatever. Think about what's actually going on in this thing. And once you do that, you never, you can never think of it the same way again. And, and every time you hear things like, 
Saddam Hussein is a big threat to our liberty. I mean, you just, I mean, you want to laugh, but you're so full of rage and laughter, the laughter just doesn't come out. I mean, like a guy who's spending like a quarter of 1% on the military, who, who he, and we were told that he's got these unmanned drones. Turns out his unmanned drone project consisted of a single prototype of plywood and string. And, and this, and yet people think, yeah, my gosh, if we don't go after this guy, it, they always believe incredible. it. They yeah, always believe can, it. Yeah. And then later and the propaganda stupid, turns right. out to not be true. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. meanwhile, people, I mean, like, huge amounts of people died over this. And this is supposed to be conservative. And, and this is this is a tendency you trace all the way back to the 19th century again oh, and yeah. again and, and again. In fact, one of the things I found most interesting is the War of 1812, by comparison with other American wars, is probably one of the most inoffensive. And it's not, not to say that it's a great idea, but I mean, compared to some of the other ones. And you hardly even think about opposition to that war. You think, well, who would be against this, right? You got to go after the Brits for all the things they're doing, things that they stopped doing as soon as they finished their war with France, which is precisely what opponents of the war predicted would happen. This is, this is, they're not going to do this anymore. In fact, they didn't. Had nothing to do with the War of 1812. But I've got in there a congressman who gives, you know, we think, ah, congressmen, well, they stink. But they used to give much better speeches than they do now. <laughs> this speech against the War of 1812 is just killer because he, He's quoting all the arguments that people are making for the war. And it's, you know, if you're patriotic, you've got to support same, it. Same, same but, thing. but also, particularly, when we invade Canada, and I, I hate to say we, it's not we, it's them. Right. Uh, when the U.S. government invades Canada, well, these poor, suffering people in Canada, they're going to rise up and they're going to welcome their liberators. Really? But if they don't, well, then they're just a debased race of poltroons who will deserve whatever we shell out to them. Which is, I mean, it's ridiculous. And people, uh, uh, thankfully, not everybody went for it then, but enough went for it then to make it possible. I mean, in fact, at least they had a declaration of war, and there were some votes against. It wasn't like, you know, 100 to 0, like the usual propaganda thing. There was some resistance, which is why there was a a move afterward to actually require a two-thirds vote to get a declaration of war, which, of course, now the way they do it is just they don't even bother with a declaration yeah. of war, of course, which they would get on a silver platter if they asked. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did you notice a tendency for support or opposition to war to follow along partisan lines as you look throughout uh, history? Yeah, I mean, that does seem to happen. Like the, yeah. the, uh, the, the Whigs were, af- as time went on, they became the opponents of the Mexican War, although at the time of the Mexican War, when it began, the Whigs understood they they better get on board for the war because they remembered what happened to the Federalist Party, which had been by and large anti-war during the War of 1812, and they were ruined by that. They were destroyed by that. The Whigs didn't want to be destroyed. By the end, they 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 got a little bit of guts. They didn't want to be. Everybody's in favor of a war at the beginning. By the end, they got some guts, and they actually managed to censure President Polk, arguing that uh, he had unconstitutionally begun this war, that that he had. He had suggested that the conditions of the war were actually different from reality, that in fact the place where American troops had been fired upon was precisely in the disputed area with Mexico. It wasn't in clearly undisputed American territory. Well, that, that changes things. This, this makes it not so unambiguous. But, uh, yeah, but it is true that because for that reason, no party out of power wants to be viewed as the unpatriotic party. That, that, that is very unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I've just noticed it in, in, in our own times that uh, when we have a democratic president, the right wing becomes more skeptical of war, and yeah. then it reverses again. Yeah, exactly. It's true. What I want this, war, what this book to show is just the, that the, the propaganda surrounding war has been there in every one of these wars, yeah. and it's the same propaganda. And at this point, 
how many times can your intelligence be insulted? And that these things are atrocities. Yes, the minimum wage is bad. Tariffs are bad. But this is an unbelievable atrocity that goes on on behalf of intentions that are that are usually very murky and not made clear to the people. The people are given propagandistic reasons for the war. But the fact is, this makes us callous. This public policy makes us callous toward our fellow man, makes us not even think of them as being fellow human beings. It makes us think that I mean, like when you argue with some of the proponents of these wars that, look, you know, a million people died, you know, a million people were burned to death, you know, with a chemical agent. Like, wh what do you say to that? And they say, hey, you know, it's war. That's war. And that's their argument. They think that's an argument. That's war. So it gets back to they utter a word and they think that by uttering this word, we can suspend all moral considerations, that you're a left wing pansy if you even have moral, moral concerns, moral qualms. Like, this has just got to stop. Like, people have just got to stop thinking like this. Yes, there are bad people in the world, but that does not justify indiscriminately. And yes, it is indiscriminate. Don't tell me about your Patriot missiles and your smart bombs, because we now know the Patriot missile was a big flop, contrary to what we were told at the time. We know that people are going to be killed in huge numbers. And we have the, the, ins, the further insult of many, but not all, thankfully, uh, objectivists, particularly in the official objectivist movement, actually saying that collateral damage is not something to be deplored. It's to be cheered. It's to be cheered. These people live in terrorist countries. I mean, they actually use this term terrorist country. Right. There's a nice individualist philosophy mm -hmm. for you, a terrorist country. And uh, yes, we because to, to defend the good countries, we need to lay utter waste to our enemies. And that's, that's individualism and reason. So it, it takes – there is something about the human mind that just latches on to this way of yeah. thinking. And, and as I say, I myself was caught up in it for a long time sure. until finally with that, with that first Persian Gulf War. And I saw you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of, of retreating Iraqi soldiers. And yes, they're soldiers, but they are human beings. They have kids. And a lot of, they, a lot of these people themselves, they're kids too. They don't, they don't even want to be there, half of them. And they're, they're maimed or killed, and they're retreating, and they're being burned alive. And meanwhile, we got our yellow ribbons and our Bob Hope specials. And, and I just finally said, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know how I can, I can celebrate and have a parade when these people are mourning the deaths of countless people who never did anything to us, had nothing to do with us, who would not hurt us in any way because of the imperial ambition of some U.S. president. I mean, you've got to be kidding me if you're going to support that. Yeah, I can tell you, um, Tommy, I guess you were uh, three years old or something at the time, but at the Grenada invasion, I remember um, celebrating. I, I did too. Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah, we, yeah, well, yes, we got to get the commies. Yeah, you know, and, and if you just read the headlines of the time, yeah. you know, it seems like, yeah, it's a great chance. There's something about nationalism or something. I don't know what it is, patriotism or the idea that we as a collective are doing something great to liberate other people that gives you a rush. Right, I, I right. don't know. Well, you know what's interesting, yeah. though, is I, I have a friend, Jack Hunter, does a lot of great um, like seven or eight minute YouTube videos yeah. like, a couple times a week. Uh, and he did one on Reagan in which he basically argues that the neocons try to claim Reagan. Reagan was yeah. one of us. And to some degree, they're, they're right. But actually, Reagan, relatively speaking, especially compared to more recent years, was relatively restrained in foreign policy. I mean, yeah, we have the Grenada thing. We have the Libya bombing. Uh, we have the, the Lebanon thing. But the, but the Lebanon thing, he reversed that. Yeah, he did. The Libya thing was a quick one strike. And he did genuinely want to reduce 
uh, arms. And he, he did generally want arms control. I mean, he brought now, about a yeah, peace. Yeah, I mean, now, and then you did have, yeah. it's true, you had intervention in Latin America and all that. That's, that is true. You can't deny that. But he was not itching for a major war somewhere. Well, he you remember the neocon, the neoconservatives were very much against all of his... Uh, yeah, right. And, and in fact, today, once in a while, they will admit that uh, he just, you know, he, he wasn't aggressive sold enough. Us, sold will, us out. Sold yeah, us out. Yeah, 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 yeah they'll yeah. admit that. It's, well, uh, some of the writers and the speaker, speakers that you quote in here, what kinds of things do they propose to uproot this pro-war tendency that you find in, particularly among Americans, I must say? Yeah, you know, I, here is where we have some some trouble because, you know, you are dealing with a phenomenon like like the state, right, that's existed for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, you, you begin to despair. You begin to think maybe this is just part of human nature. But you console yourself by remembering that slavery also existed from the beginning, the earliest civilizations, they had slavery. Yeah. And that has been eradicated. I mean, of course, it still exists in some you know, limited places in the world, but that's been eradicated only relatively recently. I mean, really, the 19th century, you still had slavery. And that sort of gives you hope that maybe the mere longevity of something doesn't mean permanence. Like, you, sure. like we've, we've gotten by pretty well without slavery, right? Yeah. The, the world didn't come to an end. We got by well, well without it. But here, I don't actually know what the strategy is because yeah. I think I feel like we've tried everything. Well, you know, I must tell you, after the Cold War ended, you know, I, one of the reasons I was very excited, I, I thought, well, there'll never be, there'll be another good excuse for war. You know, I mean, there can't possibly be a good yeah. excuse for war after communism's gone because that's the only excuse I ever knew. Right, growing exactly. up, yeah. and then whoa, yeah, exactly. And, and you have to remember also <laughs> there are, you know, there are financial interests at stake. Here. Yeah, and, and you know, if you talk about this, uh, you know, p- people are immediately dismiss you, but. I would dismiss them. I think it's ridiculous and idiotic not to notice the most obvious thing in the world, which is that there are huge profits to be made here. I mean, people aren't aren't in the arms manufacture business, you know, for the fun of it, mm-hmm. you know, or or out of a a desire to improve the world. And you know, if you look at the U.S. military budget now, look at the nature of the enemy the U.S. government says we're at war with. I mean. They're scattered around the world. They're, they're radically decentralized. It's fourth-generation warfare. It's non-state warfare. And yet, the U.S. government is still, you know, they're st- they still have, uh, you know, nuclear submarines. They're, they're, they're still, still preparing for World War II, basically. They're still preparing for World War II. The, the military budget is now is, is increasing dramatically, and it's at huge, huge numbers now against a an enemy that, you know, they say, oh, these people are going to nuke us or whatever. But whatever they're going to do, they certainly are not the Soviet Union. They don't have a million divisions. They don't have, and yet the U.S. government equips for this, and there's nothing you can do to stop that. They, every, every 15 years, there's a blue ribbon commission to look once again at military funding. And every 15 years, nothing gets done. They get the same conclusions. This is an outrage. The Department of Defense it is incapable of performing an audit, and it has been exempted from performing an audit. No one knows where the money is going. No one knows how it's being spent. It is an unbelievable outrage. It just keeps on going. And so it just goes to show that th- no matter what the nature of the enemy is, they will find a pretext to spend money. And so that even – it's it's so funny to see the right wing talk about we need more military spending. They must not know anything about the military budget is all I can conclude. Because if they did, they would see that the more money that's spent – the worse and more utterly inappropriate the U.S. military gets. It's just, for a free market guy, when you study the military state and the military budget, it just makes your head explode. And how you can just, in a knee-jerk way, say we need more of this is utterly beyond me. In your studies of of, uh, anti-war movements of the past, did you gain any insight into how wars tend to end? 
I ask this because it, sometimes it seems that there will be no end to the war in Afghanistan, no end to the war in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Well, partly the answer involves uh, the different the nature of different types of war because here you're you're fighting an enemy that is so decentralized and so inchoate. It's sort of difficult to to grasp to get your head around. There is no central authority to issue a statement of surrender. Yeah. Whereas you know, so so with 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 uh, Iraq and well with Iraq you you have a state, but with so called Al Qaeda, well there is no real central. You know, Al Qaeda is very difficult to understand who they are, where they are, who speaks for them. You know, who who can take credit for what they're doing? Who can issue a statement of surrender? Where would that come from? Yeah. So that is part of the re. And, and then also, you can just simply take anybody who's against you and just simply call them Al Qaeda. So then, at, at that point, how could it end? Who would be the 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 person who can speak for this entire organization? Is there one? And if he did say we surrender, would they all listen to him? So I, I I don't know. I think yeah, for that you know, reason, I, you're I, not I, fighting a state where you can just yeah. take over the state apparatus. And, and probably probably there were plenty of people who didn't want the Cold War to end. It, the problem was that the enemy, in this case, just vanished, and it became just radically impossible. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, exactly. Kind of hilarious. Exactly. In a way. Exactly. You know, everybody's dislodged. Now, bef before I forget, let me yeah. point out also that the selections in here are not just beautiful rhetoric, although they are. Yeah. It's not, I didn't write this to uplift people, that, oh, isn't it wonderful that we had all these wonderful people who fought against these wars, and it was heroic, even if they were failures, they, they wrote beautiful speeches. That's not primarily what it is. There are great speeches and book excerpts and articles and all that stuff, poems in there, but one of the things we want to do with a lot of these speeches is have a lot of genuine historical meat in them, so that these selections from these people would actually explain the truth about the wars. Yeah. So if you want to know what was really going on in war X, Y, or Z, these people say, this is why I'm against it. Not just because I'm against all war in general. Most of these people weren't against all war in general. It was this war because these reasons are unjust or they're lying to us and this is the truth. And is there it's a, all in there. Uh, a record of war propaganda in here too? Oh, absolutely. The yeah. war propaganda... I mean, certainly, I mean, the War of 1812, the, the Canada thing, the Mexican War, huge war. I mean, I didn't realize the extent of the propaganda surrounding the Mexican War. Wait till you read the stuff in here about that, about all the demands that the U.S. was making of Mexico, Mexico basically doing everything it could to satisfy them. The demands got greater and greater. Uh, the uh, Spanish-American War is, of course, obvious, but we've got some great, great stuff in there, um, and so on, all the way down. I mean, we've got, we've got a section on the Cold War that... My co-editor is on the left, Murray Polner. He took, he, he took a look at it after we were just about done. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's nobody on the left in this Cold War thing. I had all old right people. Oh, funny. Yeah, I had Garrett Garrett and all these people saying, you know, what is this? It's crazy. going to bust the budget. What is this crazy thing? The, we have to fight 1950s. wars. Yeah, we yeah. have to fight wars all over the world. What kind of crazy utopian nonsense is this? And then later that would become the conservative mainstream. Yeah. Uh, he said, well, you know, I think we have to put like one, prog there were progressives against the Cold War. All right, we'll put Henry Wallace in there. That's Fine. funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you enliven some of, the, some of our own prehistory. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that that's, that's the goal. Um, if you were going to do another project on war after this, what kind of thing would it be, you think? Well, I've written myself since then. I, I wrote a thing for the the, the old Journal of Libertarian Studies on the economic consequences of war. I mean, this really brings you face-to-face to face with the human effects and what this does to the vanquished and to the victor, what it does to your soul to be involved in this. But we don't realize the, the distortions of the, the military state, even when you're not at war, when you're just preparing for war. I've looked at the consequences 
and I'm going to publish this in a forthcoming book I have in 2011. Look at the consequences to civil society, to the university system in the U.S., when the, prior, the research priorities are all geared toward the Department of Defense. What does that do to universities? What does that do to their admissions policies? What does it do to their research priorities? What does it do to civil uh, research for commercial purposes? What does it do to that when two-thirds of all your research and development talent is siphoned off into military uh, research? And it's not like, well, we'll just pop up more people to do that. There's a fixed number of people at any given time who have the brain power to do this type of research. So it's a zero-sum game. So we don't even know what the full consequences are. But you, you, when you think of what would have been done in the absence of this, when you think of a, a military state that, that builds up six tons of TNT for every single enemy city, when obviously one ton of TNT would be quite sufficient, what would have happened? What, what improvements in our standard of living, what commercial improvements would have occurred if we could have had those resources back? All this sort of stuff I've been looking into, and it, the effects of it are more dramatic than we can possibly imagine. The distortions in our lives, in our society, on our economy, in our pocketbooks, all this stuff, even when you're not at war, when you want to be the world superpower, it impoverishes you. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a particular concern for people who love liberty, for people who are concerned about free markets. And yet, um, you know, I've always had the sense, and I'm sure you do too, that there's not nearly enough attention uh, paid to it within libertarian circles. And I think the reason for this is that we want to bring conservatives into the fold. Yeah. And we feel like we're going to offend the conservatives, and we need the conservatives and, and with it's us not on just the free conservatives, markets. Conservatives, sort of the, the bourgeoisie. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's the soccer moms too yeah. who want to be kept protected from the towel heads. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. you know, and I, you know, of course, I say that ironically, of but course. you know, I mean that uh, there is that concern. We we want to reach them, and and I to an extent I understand this that it, it, you feel like you're walking a tightrope half the time, but at some level, and, and 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 it's true when I'm in conservative circles and they come, they ask me to speak on topic A. I speak on topic A. I don't come and give a belligerent speech about war. Yeah. But if they ask me about war, I give them my answer. Yeah. I'm going to tell, and, and sure. by and large, they probably know. You know, my it's, it, I, I remember once being at a dinner party in the 1980s with a, something like a fanatic um, peace activist. I mean, she was terribly annoying, and um, I'm, although totally correct on on everything she said. But we were at a dinner party with something like eight people, and she began to rail against. Best squads in El Salvador. Ruined the dinner party completely, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I remember uh, reflecting on this, and I decided to ruin the dinner party myself many years later. When um, I forget now who somebody invaded uh, Haiti, maybe it was Clinton, maybe it was Bush. I don't remember it now. But, yeah, I think it was Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I and I remember at a dinner party just going through the today's headlines, you know, about the U.S. having killed like sixty innocent people in, in Haiti today. And I just happened to mention this dinner party wrecked the whole thing. <laughs> you know, you know so, it's, it's a there's a yes, yeah, so yeah, there, there's a time and a place, and it's not say that you're a coward yeah. it's that you, you i have to think about what if i myself in 1991 when i was all for war if somebody had just come up to me and given me the full-on belligerent speech yeah. i would have just said you stupid leftist get out of here why don't you you know move to you know move to spain you know with your leftist friends or something you know i would have just kicked <laughs> them great yeah whatever yeah, yeah exactly yeah i know exactly let's go to salamanca yeah. but <laughs> So what I try, I try to reach people where they are. I try to say, well, l let me give you reasons why you yourself, given your own stated principles, should be against what you favor uh, on, on foreign policy. And I can, I can say, now, you know, I'm just one guy, and I, you know, there's only so much that one person can do, as, although many times we have great individuals who do a lot of things, but still, 
we have our limits. There's only so much we can do. But yet I get emails a lot from people saying, you know, I used to have the same war view on war that you used to have. And then you yeah. at first enraged me. But then I thought about yeah. the arguments. And then, so uh, again, there are arguments that you can make to the left, yeah. to the progressive left that will favor certain types of war. And you can say, but you're betraying everything you believe in. But there are arguments you can make to the right saying that you're betraying things too that you believe in. Yeah. And th you can win them over. There is a conscious, consciousness raising that takes place. Yeah. Probably I mean, more yeah. so in this case than even in economics. Yeah, exactly. When you suddenly begin to realize, oh, morality is a universal thing. It should be applied in all cases. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. Yeah. I was on a panel at Freedom Fest, you remember? Yeah. And uh, the subject of foreign policy came up. And we had some neocons on the panel. We had middle of the rotors. And we had Gary Johnson, who was good on war. And, and I raised this point. I said... It's not just a question of what American interests are, so-called, which, which basically means, you know, the interests of our overlords. It doesn't mean your interests and my interests. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what's going on. Um, I, I said, it's not just that. It's a moral question. And you can't, on basically on really uh, the flimsiest of pretexts, carry out an what is clearly an atrocity by any definition. And then afterwards say, oops, sorry, okay, yeah, those rationales weren't right, but that was a bad guy anyway, so it's probably all right. Like, you, you, you can't, you just can't do that. Yeah. At some point, you just can't doesn't do it, that. Doesn't it annoy you as much as, much as it does me when people um, come around on war so late? Like, they'll cheer war. And, and then when everybody's jumping ship, yeah. they say, or then they try to pretend they weren't really like on National board. Review does this, yeah. right? I mean, all the time. You know, suddenly the guy who was cheering war and denouncing everybody you know, was against it. And everybody, yeah. you know, as being yeah. pacifists or whatever enemies of enemies yeah. treason. Yeah. And then two years later, they say, "Well, you know, actually, this war uh, war hasn't worked out, you know, well at all." Yeah. I mean, this, I, mean I know well, I should be very irritated. I should be celebrating that they come yeah, out. But yeah, somehow yeah, they always than never. But 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 see, those are the ones who are the most likely in the next war to be immediately it's taken true. in by exactly the same dumb guy propaganda arguments that. Yeah. Uh, the last in the last war and and that's that's another thing i mean if americans have such a dumb guy media dumb i mean the way they report things dumb you know bad guy good guy whatever it's always yeah. the same and it's not yeah. to say that there, again obviously there are a lot of bad people i don't deny that the people who brought down the twin towers were bad people i mean no, nobody's denying that but but you know the way the, the way they they portray everything in the most ridiculous over-the-top terms of the U.S. is the greatest country that has ever existed, and our people always have the greatest intentions, so everything we do is always wonderful. You know, the rest of the world gets really tired of yeah. that after a while. Well, it's particularly bad on holidays. We just got through one the other day, right? It was a couple of weeks ago. We had some, I don't know, it was a flag yeah. day or some, yeah. Some, yeah. some big day when there was you know, a whole day of this propaganda. You yeah, and it, and it, <laughs> it, reached, it speaks to a psychological need for belonging, yeah. that people, you know, they've got to be part of something. And, and they're going to be part of this. There and this are makes ways them to feel like that. Yeah, yeah there are. Right. right. But this <laughs> makes them feel like, well, hey, you know, we're better than that country because we've got this many divisions yeah. and they've only got that many. I mean, come on now, people. Like, you know, I mean, go go join like a local uh, softball team yeah. and say your team's better than that team. Like, like please <laughs> do this in some yeah. other way. There are churches, there are families, there are yeah, rotary clubs. Lots of ways of doing lots, this. Lots but, of ways of working this yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom, for writing this book and for talking to me today. Glad to do it, Jeff. All right, folks, as we wrap up, let me point out for people who, for some reason, are not on the legendary Tom Woods email list that those people have been getting some really good virus updates and commentary and statistics. I can't stop myself. It just keeps 
flowing. So you want to hop on there. I recommend the most recent, I guess maybe it's my second to most recent ebook is AOC is wrong. You can get that at AOCiswrong.com. That puts you on my list also. But uh, also getting you on my list and getting you a free ebook is the one I did, the Pentagon versus the economy, which is information that most people don't know. I certainly didn't know before I started working on it. And that will help as an entry point talking to your progressive friends who are supposed to not like war, although sometimes they need to be reminded of this. But it's important stuff, and I think it'll help you. So you can check that out and also wind up on my email list over at militaryeconomy.com. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.